Welcome to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist, brought to you by the Board of Conscious Capitalism in Connecticut. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also to business owners, startups and entrepreneurs. The Curious Capitalist is available on all of the world's biggest podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. Never miss an episode again and subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to the latest edition of The Curious Capitalist and it's my great pleasure to reintroduce to you Gavin Watson, who is, of course, the chair of the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, which I'm always really impressed when I manage to say that without stumbling, by the way. It's great use of alliteration there. And this is a bit of a recap. Now, you have been in this role as our chair for over two and a half years now. You have navigated some stormy waters. And I'm going to ask you a few questions, find out what has been your highlights and your lowlights, shall we say, of navigating, you know, global pandemics and goodness knows what else. So welcome along to The Curious Capitalist once again. You have been our chair since December 2019, according to my research. I want to ask you, Gavin, what have you got out of being the chair of this chapter? It's been a lot of fun. What I've got out of it is just a great group of people. So I retired from my regular job at about that same time. And when you retire, you have to kind of figure out what you're doing with yourself. And there are a lot of different things that I played around with doing initially. This was one of my main things that there were, you know, a whole slew of other things I tried. And it's really nice when you narrow it down finally to like two or three things that you really want to spend your time and your focus on. And the people that you're engaging with doing those things are just super excellent people. So I think without this sort of thing, it would have been very hard leaving work with, you know, 300 people or so in the company and all of a sudden, not having those daily connections and doing things together. For me, that was one of the things that this filled this group of people to hang out with. And they're a good bunch. The board, I have to say, I am biased, of course, but the board here in Connecticut, they are forward thinking, they have got passion and vigor, and they make things happen, which I think is, you know, is to their credit. Does your part-time interest still include building boats, Gavin? Yes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I did just finish one, did it last winter and it's ready to be launched. I've got all the stuff for it now, so I will be putting it in the water in the next few weeks. I've got to be honest, I know last time we spoke, if, you, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, do listen back to our first podcast with Gavin because he is a very skilled boat builder, which is quite bizarre, but you have quite a reputation. So I'd like to see pictures of this new project before it takes sure. to the water. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> I have a YouTube channel actually, so. Really? There's over 85 videos of me building this thing. So they're all Amazing. little five minute segments. Fantastic. Um, We're definitely linked to that on this podcast for sure. So it has been a pretty crazy two and a half years. I think that's fair to say, like in the the grand scheme of things, it's been a bit bananas in all honesty. During your tenure, what doors have you found have been open to you, if you like? You know, what new situations have you got yourself into and what new people have you met that have, I don't know, kind of given you a bit of a refresh and recharged the batteries and given you that passion for what we do. Sure. Yeah. So I think one of the really cool things that happened straight away 
due to the pandemic is the whole, you know, making, doing meetings online and Zoom meetings, because all of a sudden it was real easy to meet with the whole kinds of people very, very easily, which was a great thing. That was all really new. And then all the different board members that joined us, the people that we got to know and other people who got to know better. I think Kathy Saint came along somewhere early on in that time period. She was great. You know, lots of others, Alessandra and others that have been really good. And then the other thing that was a lot of fun was doing the whole leadership program that David Wrights started. So, you know, it was one of the things that we had been talking about before the pandemic and then the pandemic happened and we thought, oh, or at least I thought, now we're stuck, now we can't do this thing because it was gonna involve a lot of getting together at people's facilities and getting together in person and talking about all these different things. And I thought, oh, we'll just have to push this off. And I thought, oh, you know, it'll be like six months and we'll be out the other end of the pandemic. And then, you know, we'll start this. And David just sort of said, why don't we just do this thing? And I was like, I don't know. I can't think of a reason not to. So, <laughs> you know, it was great that he stirred that all up and, and got us going and really organized the whole thing. So it was a lot of fun getting together with the other people who helped put all the different parts together. And everybody has their, you know, we're all good at conscious capitalism generally, but everybody of course has their particular strengths. So it's a lot of fun when you see people just jump in and take over and do their thing in their particular part of the program. So much better because it was a group effort. So for people who don't know about the Conscious Leaders Network, tell them yeah. from the ground up, what is it? How did people get involved? Is there gonna be another opportunity to join? What can people expect to get out of the program? There might be some people who are familiar with like something like Vistage or similar groups, but the idea is that you have leaders of companies who are interested in, in our case, conscious capitalism and want to get together and talk about it and learn from each other in a you know group setting. So Vistage is sort of a leadership program that's been going on for a very long time and company leaders and other executives will join it and with the purpose of getting to know other people and being able to openly share ideas or concerns or issues within your company with other people in a very safe environment. Because if you are the leader of a company, there are you know, many of those people who lead those companies feel lonely sort of at the top of the pyramid, which, you know, we can talk about that whole mindset anyway. But if you have that sort of structure in your company and you don't feel that you can talk to other people about some of your concerns or whatever, this gives you another place to do that. And the, for us as a conscious capitalism group, what it really is, is the ability to talk to other company leaders that are absolutely interested and very committed to conscious capitalism. Because in my experience as a person running a company, you know, I didn't even know conscious capitalism existed. I didn't know it was a thing until I read the book and found this group. But when you are by yourself for, you know, maybe a decade trying to figure this out and trying to make it happen, and you're hitting lots of resistance and people are saying, oh, you know, you can't do it that way. And it's not how the way business works. And that sort of thing, you sort of, it's very difficult. But if you are in a group of other people who are also, you know, firm believers in it, then you can go like, yeah, no, this does work. I've talked to, you know, six or eight other people who are all into this and I've seen it work in their companies and I know it can work here. You know, that's the benefit that the program provides. And yeah, there is another one. We'll start it again in October. So we're actively looking for people now who are interested in, in joining it. You heard it here first. Program. Check out the website for more details on the, yeah. the next 
Conscious Leaders Network. You know, it's great, isn't it? I guess that's giving people who are at the top of that pyramid we talk about an outlook, you know, somewhere safe to share their ideas with other like-minded people, which is very powerful, the sharing of ideas like that, which kind of leads me on nicely to during your tenure, you have obviously met a huge number of people spoken to a huge number of people. We've dragged you up on stage and made you do speeches and presentations and we made you do lots of things that you're not that happy about or not that comfortable with. But in your opinion, what would you say has been the most successful or the observation or the thing that you're most proud of that you've looked at, you've seen a company evolve or you've seen a person come to a realisation, what has been the one thing or a couple of things that have stuck with you and gone, wow, this is why I am the chair of Conscious Capitalism in Connecticut? So one of the things that became really evident in the leadership program was that we were focused on a particular topic. So it might be like employee engagement, for example. And what was great was to like realise that as we did those things that we needed to keep the presentations really short because the people who were in the program had a lot to talk about and a lot to share with each other. So that was really cool to see that happen and that energy and you know our group being the catalyst that, that enabled these people to find each other and to get together and, and talk about these things that they you know that they believe in they want to do. You know you could tell there's you know people are egging each other on, getting excited about it. I think the other thing that I'm particularly excited about, which is very new still at this point, but is the work that we've started to do with David Sloan Wilson, which, you know, was in the you know podcast I did just before this one. So that's well worth listening to. One of the difficulties with conscious capitalism has been that it's very hard to explain to somebody who's entrenched in the normal business ideals and the normal business practices what conscious capitalism is and why it works. For people who intuitively get it and for people who feel it in their hearts, you can't stop them. You just give them the idea of conscious capitalism and off they go. They've, they're already converted. There's no nothing standing in their way. They completely get it. But other people really struggle with that. And I think that David Sloan Wilson's way of explaining it not that he explains conscious capitalism, but his way of explaining how human systems work and which kinds of systems work best and why. The perfect underpinning for conscious capitalism, why conscious capitalism works. And I think that at this point, it's really, in my mind, I use his work all the time to explain what conscious capitalism is and why it works. And I feel completely comfortable. I could have a debate with the person who is the absolute most convinced in standard shareholder capitalism type stuff. And I know that I can convince almost anybody on the planet at this point. It's powerful, isn't it? If you are listening and you're not sure what we're talking about, David Sloan Wilson is an incredible academic. And uh, we recently, well, actually you did a podcast with him. You fire in the questions, which was great fun. And you can also find that on the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut website. So do check it out. It's a fascinating listen. And I have it on good authority that there's going to be a part two. So uh, watch yeah. this space. Now, you touched on it there. I was going to ask you, like, what is the biggest challenge for the Conscious Capitalism movement at the moment? And you kind of touched on it, is explaining what on earth it is. Is yeah. that still the, the sticking point? So that's one of the things is convincing people that conscious capitalism is actually true, that it it is, in fact, the best way to run a business. And there's no viable argument against that. That's absolutely provably true now. That's one of the things that I think conscious capitalists got work to do now to get that word out and to hold more events to share that. I think the other thing 
probably with conscious capitalism in, in my mind is that there's a little bit of a tendency, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say there's a little bit of a tendency in conscious capitalism in general to try to not upset people or not alienate people by coming out too strong. And I think that's generally a good idea because you want to keep conversations going and that kind of thing. But I also think that it's very, very important to be very clear about who we are and what our values are. So there are things that are happening in the world, you know, with voting rights and women's rights and, and the environment and, and you know, school shootings and all this sort of thing, where I think in my mind, it's very important for conscious capitalism to take a stand on these issues because they're not the sort of issues that are really open for debate. I know people are, you know, have different opinions on these things and all of that, and I respect them and honor them for having those, but I think it's important to be clear about who we are and what we stand for. Yeah, no, beautifully put. The Curious Capitalist podcast on behalf of the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter is created and produced by Red Rock Branding. If you are enjoying this episode, please subscribe to and share this podcast today. Now, you are a ferocious reader, like you are one of the most well-read people I know, which, you know, puts you quite high, really. I'm going to ask you for three book recommendations, three books that Gavin Watson says you must read before you die. So I would say you definitely need to read one of David Sloan Wilson's books. It could be either This View of Life or there's another book called Pro Social. Either one of those is good. I particularly like This View of Life, but either one is excellent. So that would be good. Another one that I think is a lot of fun is a book called Survival of the Friendliest. And I've read that fairly recently. And there's two authors whose names I can't remember right now. The concept of the book is that the question essentially that they're asking is there were all of these different types of humans on the planet, you know, 100,000, 200,000 years ago. And now there's us. So what happened to the others and how did we outcompete them? And what is different about us? There is the Holocene period of you know stable climate that happened about 10,000 years ago, which has definitely given us a, a big boost. But the premise of the book, I think, is that we outcompeted those others because in a way we self-domesticated. We became more friendly and we learned to cooperate and collaborate to a higher level. And this is really also the, so the main point of David Sloan Wilson's work is that the altruistic groups will outcompete the groups with selfish individuals in them or a large portion of selfish individuals. What these authors are saying is that basically over the last 100,000 years or so, we've been gradually self-domesticating ourselves. So they talk about human beings. They also use dogs as an example. And there are some foxes that are being bred in Russia for the last, I think, maybe 50 years or so. You know, it was a, a fox breeding farm for furs or, or whatever. And these scientists basically started their work and, and all they did was select for the foxes that were the friendliest, that were the least afraid of people. And they just kept doing that generation after generation. And the fox population dramatically changed. So they have a control group where they just randomly selected foxes. And then this other group, these foxes are so excited to see you now. And, you know, versus regular foxes who would, you know, so very much just like dogs becomes like super ultra friendly. 
And just like dogs, you know, dogs are really great at learning from us and our emotions and seeing what's going on. One of the things that he mentions in the book, one of the authors was working at a primate research facility, and it was very, very difficult to get chimpanzees. If you put food under one cup and no food under another cup, and the researcher pointed at the cup that had the food under it, the chimpanzees only did a little better than 50%. They couldn't get it because they weren't wired to realize that another individual might be trying to help them. Versus like, the, wow. so the guy said to the to, to the head <laughs> researcher, he said, you know, I think my dog can do this. Yep. So he went and he demonstrated that his dog puts the food there, points at the thing, and the dog will go right to the one with the food yep. on it. Doesn't Almost question it. Of the time. So dogs have done the similar domestication thing and become wired to recognize that other individuals are actually trying to help and paying attention to those things. And that's essentially what's gone on for human beings, you know, to a much greater extent, we really get each other. We really, you know, even little tiny kids get right away that, you know, other people are trying to help them and will pay attention to things if somebody points at things and they learn to point at stuff. That's a really good book anyways. It's well worth reading. And I think he makes some very good points about how society, you know, how we need to change, obviously. And, you know, the things that we're good at, we need to become much, much better at them if we're going to survive on this planet and keep going. So we have to be even more friendly, even more cooperative, care about each other even more, and those sort of things. So just, you know, looking at where we were, where we've come to, and, you know, how much more going. we've got left to do. Yeah, uh, for sure. For sure. Okay, yeah. question for you. What do you believe in that many others would disagree with? You know, other than the things that we've been talking about, you know, essentially those ideas about altruism and, and human groups and that, you know, the human groups that are more altruistic will outperform the other ones. That is something that I think a lot of people don't get. They don't realize how important that is, has been to our success as a species and, you know, our continued success. So, yeah. So come on, Gavin, tell me, what keeps Gavin Watson up at night at 2 a.m. with the cogs turning in your brain? So last night, my brain was definitely turning. I woke up this morning with a whole bunch of stuff in my head, and it really came out of the school shooting recently in, in Texas. And we had had a board meeting yesterday, and one of the board members has young kids. And, and the day before that school shooting, She'd gotten a phone call that the school was in lockdown because of some suspicious activity, and that had her very anxious. And then to have the following day, this same sort of thing, you know, an actual event happen in Texas. You know, so there's things like that, women's rights, climate change, you know, these big existential questions. And what keeps me up at night is to try to figure out how to make these changes. So, you know, typically, we tend to, as a society, you know, focus on like voting rights and signing up people to vote and things like that. And that's really, really good and super seriously important. But one of the things that I was thinking about this morning was that, you know, when Gandhi was in India back in the 1930s, the Indians actually had no ability to vote whatsoever. And they managed to change everything. You had the British government, which is basically a minority system that was in power and they were not, you know, allowing the Sorry Indian... about that. That's okay. <laughs> British in power again. I, I just, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, We've yeah. got this track record. 
<laughs> I'll apologize on behalf point. of it. Up, you know, it didn't turn out fantastic necessarily for India. There's still a lot of issues there. So it wasn't like it, it solved all their, their problems or anything. But it is interesting that without any ability to vote at all, you can actually create massive social change. So, you know, because part of the problem is, is, you know, we only get to vote every couple of years or so. So what are we doing in the meantime? And what I'm kind of getting at is Gandhi had some really creative things that he did. He was actually really patient and very nice to the British government a few times. There were times when there were strikes going on at the railroads and the British government was having to deal with that. And so instead of launching his strike thing that he was about to do, he held back and waited for the British government to have to deal with this other thing before he started his thing, which was very nice. And the things that he picked to do were very non-confrontational. People would just go, they had the salt thing. Started off with a salt march of 70 people going to the sea to make some salt. And by the time they got there, there were millions of people. The British government just couldn't deal with it. It made for enormous change. And I think that, you know, one of the possibilities that we could be, you know, doing with things like school shootings or women's productive rights issues and certainly climate change is, is to do more events like that. And there are groups like Sunrise Movement and the Extinction Rebellion Group. So the Sunrise Movement and there's Greenpeace and that kind of thing, but Extinction Rebellion Group in particular is very, very, very forceful and more into the confrontation part. And I'm not sure that that as actually, I get it, the sense of urgency is just huge and you've got to grab people's attention. But at the same time, if you get a bunch of people angry and upset with you, I'm not sure that it's going to work. So, uh, you know, what I kind of see in, I need to do some more reading and, you know, rewatch that movie about Gandhi again and that kind of thing. But he very, very persistently and gently worked with it over and over again and just managed to make things change in very interesting and creative ways. So you know, it was not confrontational. You know, you had a march and, but you weren't threatening anybody. You just showed yeah. up and said, you know, this yeah. is what I'm here for. These are, I these stand are the for, these are my beliefs. And, and, not and threatening, not violent, but certainly. wait and whatever yeah. until people notice and things start to happen, so. And the reality is we need to be doing something more than every four years. So yeah. uh, otherwise nothing's yeah. going to change, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, last question for you, good sir, before I let you get on with your uh, inaugural, what's it called when you first dunk a boat? Oh, yeah, just the launching or as they say up here in Maine, putting it over. Putting um, it over. Yeah. We, a, we do say something in the UK. I can't remember what it is when the Queen smashes the champers against the Yeah, side. yeah. The um, christening and all that kind of stuff. It'll come to me. Yeah. I expect to see that happen. Yeah, last question for you before I let you get away to your boats. If people wanted to take a more conscious approach to their business, what are the top three things that they should be actively mm. doing now to make a difference? So the real power of conscious capitalism is that it changes your company's culture and it changes the culture outside your company. So the key things are that you're trying to create an altruistic environment inside your company where people can feel safe and bring their whole selves to work. You also wanna create a lot of autonomy inside your company. Most companies are run with an enormous amount of control. Human beings aren't designed for that. If you think about, you know, 
how we evolved as a species over hundreds of thousands of years wandering around the African plains. We were just little, you know, little family tribal groups going around and just getting things done. So, you know, whatever needed doing that day, people just started doing it. There were no hierarchical leaders. There was no structure. The structure that was there was fluid. The hierarchy was minimal. And that's the sort of thing that we're designed for. And we're actually really good. Our performance is enormous when you give human beings lots of autonomy to, and lots of information so that they can see what needs doing. And then they just, they see what it is that they can do that will help one of those things and they'll just go off and self-assign and, and, and get things done. So self-organizing, self-directed teams and stuff is very important. The other half of that is that a company will do much better if it resides within its own altruistic system. So you're creating an altruistic system inside the company. And you're also creating an altruistic system outside the company. That's the leader's job is to do those things. So outside the company, you've got suppliers, you have customers, you, there's a community that the company is residing in, and you need to have altruistic relationships with all of those different groups, even with your competitors. I should also say, so it's not safe to be altruistic, right? So if you've got a group of individuals or a group of companies and one or more of them are selfish and they're going to take more than their fair share and try to get more from everybody else than, than they should have, and they're not behaving altruistically themselves, then that the altruistic companies will be damaged. Or the altruistic individuals within a company that has selfish individuals in it will be damaged and will bear the brunt of that. The leader's job is to make it safe to be altruistic inside the company and make it safe for their company to be altruistic in the economic ecosystem that that company resides in. If you're the company leader, leader's job outside the company is to make it safe for their company to be altruistic. So they need to be on the lookout for you know, selfish suppliers, selfish customers, and either, you know, sit down and meet with them and go, look, this is how this can work. It can either be a group where we all collaborate and look out for each other and help each other out in all kinds of very friendly, very altruistic, outgoing ways, or we can all be watching out for somebody taking advantage of somebody else. You know, that's going to be much less effective and we're all going to do worse. And if people get it, they go, oh, well, that's what kind of group this is, fine. You know, I'd love to do that. And they join it and they're a great participant and they contribute and, and all that, that's wonderful. But if they can't and they're not behaving properly, then they gotta get kicked out of the group. So you can give them nice gentle reminders, escalate, you know, the warnings and say, look, you know, this isn't how this group behaves. If you wanna be part of it, you need to be doing these things. This is how we do it. When it works, that's why conscious capitalism companies outperform so all the other companies is because they have these altruistic groups, these high performance altruistic, you know, human systems, both within the company and in the ecosystem that the company resides in. It's quite powerful, isn't it? It's incredibly powerful. When you explain it like that, it's like, why doesn't everybody do this? It just know, seems yeah, so obvious yeah, and it's just... I know. It's almost frustrating. Gavin, yeah. it's always a pleasure talking to you. I always learn something new. We always have a bit of fun. And um, it's been a real privilege. Two years and six months as the <laughs> illustrious chair. You're almost on for a pocket watch. 
but thank you for your dedication uh, certainly to our chapter if people want to find out more about the conscious leaders network if you want to find out more about the board of conscious capitalism here in connecticut come along get involved jump on a zoom or even an in-person we're a really friendly bunch of people you can find out more information on the website it is connecticut dot conscious capitalism dot org also on there you'll find a tab dedicated to podcasts and you'll be able to listen to our back catalogue of podcasts including the one that we've referred to here with david sloan wilson gavin it's been a privilege and a pleasure always good luck with that boat and i shall see you next time thanks very much take care thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the curious capitalist If you would like to find out more about Conscious Capitalism, or if you would like to join the local chapter, visit the website connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org. The Curious Capitalist is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, subscribe to and share this podcast today. This podcast was created and produced by Red Rock Branding, redrockbranding.com.